Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Women of Wonder. During this series, we'll dive into the stories of some of the courageous and obedient women of the Bible to see how we can each learn, grow, and be challenged to put our faith into action. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, folks, we're in the middle of this series called Women of Wonder. And, you know, the reason we're doing this is because Scripture is filled with stories of women of faith who did amazing things for God. They had conversions that were out of the blue while some of them were raised in faith. They faced uh, death-defying circumstances and put their lives on the line for their faith in God and for following Jesus. And they helped start the church of Jesus Christ and they helped spread it through the known world. And so I'm excited about today's message because we're going to be talking about a woman named Lydia. Lydia's story is so significant from start to finish. And what you're going to find amazing is what we learn about her is just from a few verses that are written in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. But let me get into this. We, we meet Lydia because of the leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Apostle Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy and Luke. Luke is the author of the book of the Gospel of Luke and of the book of Acts. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul, if you remember his story, he came to faith uh, after, being, after growing up in uh, Judaism and becoming a Pharisee, he, he came to faith when he was on a, on a trip to go and persecute Christians and arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem and put them in jail. And he had a supernatural experience with God and uh, he became a follower of Jesus. He changed his name from Saul to Paul and God charged him with taking the gospel to the Gentile world. Now remember, in, in the first century, there were really two kinds of people as far as Scripture uh, was concerned. There were Jews and there were non-Jews. And the non-Jews are referred to as Gentiles. So uh, Paul was a Jew, but now all of a sudden he's come to faith in Christ and God appoints him, he says, to take the gospel, the good news, to the Gentiles. And so he does that. He, he goes on a missionary journey throughout uh, what we would call Asia Minor. Um, today, we would actually call it the Middle East. And he begins to take the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to people throughout Asia Minor. And people accept Christ. He starts churches. He plants new churches wherever he goes. And then he comes back to Jerusalem for a meeting with the apostles as they have to deal with an issue in the church at large. And they solve that issue. And he goes back out on his second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy and Luke and maybe some others. We don't know. But as he goes out into Asia Minor, again, remember, this is, this is the, uh, um, the, the Middle East, we would say today. It's uh, Syria and Turkey. Uh, as he goes out, he doesn't think he's going to go anywhere but this area. But, but as he's preaching and teaching and he tries to enter into some new areas, he senses the Holy Spirit speaking to him and saying, listen, don't go. I don't want you to preach there. This happens a couple of times. And one evening, he has a vision from God. And in this vision, he sees a man 
from the area of Macedonia. And in the vision, he's standing in front of Paul and he's begging him to come to Macedonia and help them. Now, that's significant because what you understand is when you, when you uh, leave Turkey and cross, uh, I think it's the Aegean Sea there, I'm not certain, uh, into Macedonia, you've left Asia proper and you've gone to Europe. And so this is so significant because for the very first time, the gospel of Jesus Christ is landing on European shores. And so we pick up this story in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 11. Let me read. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. So this is huge. This is in the history of Christianity. This is huge because this is the, the earliest foothold of the church on the continent of Europe. And remember, Europe ultimately becomes the hub of the gospel's worldwide witness for centuries. So Paul and his team go to Philippi, the city in Macedonia, and they prayerfully go about their missionary work. And what this would involve on the front end of any missionary journey would be they would go in and they would be observers of the culture. They would study uh, sort of the rhythms of a city or a town and what people did, and they would get to know the, the local uh, colloquialisms and uh, the, the things that were going on in the culture. And then the next thing that, that they would begin to look for, because this was Paul's practice, he would look for the Jewish community in a town. This was important because remember, he was born and raised in Judaism and he understood something. He knew that if he wanted to take the good news about Jesus and spread it, he would have to go to the Jews first because for them to accept it, it had to be a Jewish thing and not a Gentile thing. And so he wanted to find the Jewish community. He wanted to share with them that Jesus was the Messiah that they had always been looking for and bring them to faith in Christ. And then he would reach out to the Gentile community. And so that's what he's doing. But what he discovers in Philippi is that there's not a huge Jewish community. In fact, the, the, Jewish, community, the Jewish population is so small, they can't even put together a synagogue. But as they're observing the town and the culture, what they do discover is that they're there is a group of, of Jewish women who meet on the Sabbath to pray. And this is where we pick him up in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. So here we meet Lydia. And in, and in these two verses, really this last verse, verse 14, we learn so much about her. And here's the first thing that I want you to know about Lydia as if you're taking notes. Lydia was a leader, okay? And I'm going to unpack that but also a lot more from verse 14. The first thing that we see in verse 14 is that we learn that Lydia is from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira is a region in Asia. The capital city was named Lydia. 
So we can assume that Lydia was named for the capital of Thyatira. And here's just a little bit of irony, okay? Uh, Remember when Paul got that vision. He got that vision. There was a man from Macedonia who was saying, come over and help us. Now, I'm sure he met men and women before he met Lydia. But Lydia is the first person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. So there's, to me, a little bit of irony that here is a, a woman that he meets. He brings her to Christ. Oh, and Lydia... While she lives in Europe now, she actually grew up in Thyatira, which is in Asia. A little little bit of irony there. Um, But let's go on. It tells us that Lydia is a dealer in purple cloth. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot. All right. If she's a dealer in purple cloth, what we understand then is she's a businesswoman. Um, She sold purple dye and quality purple cloth that was manufactured by a famous guild in her hometown of Thyatira. Um, The rare and expensive dye was made very painstakingly from taking spiny-shelled mollusks known as murex and they had invented a process in ancient Tyre and the dye was extracted from the mollusks and it was known as Tyrian dye. Manufacturers in Thyatira had perfected a better method of obtaining the dye from the mollusk, and so their dye was thought to be the best in the known world. Now, incidentally, there was a lesser quality dye that had also been developed in Thyatira, and it was taken from the matter plant. And this was just a significant understanding to understand something about Lydia. Um, This was much easier to get. The fabric, the cloth from it was much less expensive. So the working class of people were known to be able to buy that. But here's the thing. The Tyrian dye that that Lydia was a dealer in, the cloth and the dye, was the basis for royal purple clothing. And that substance That cloth, that commodity, was one of the most precious in the ancient world. Let me just sort of unpack that for for you for a minute. There's a passage in Scripture where Jesus says, don't store up your treasures on earth, store them up on heaven. But when he says don't store them up on earth, this is what he also says. He says, don't store them up on earth where they will will corrode and where moth and vermin will come in and destroy them. What does that mean? You know, I'm thinking about that, you know, you know, our, our money, we don't ever think about it corroding. We don't ever think about, you know, mice and moth, uh, you know, destroying it. But, but in the ancient world, wealth wasn't always held in money. Wealth could be held in herds of, and flocks of animals. Wealth could also be held in precious metals. But, but remember, the refining process wasn't that good. So that silver or that gold uh, or whatever it was wouldn't have been as pure. And so if it had copper in it or if it had steel in it, it could rust and corrode. Another form of wealth was clothing and fabric. And you know that if you store that and don't watch out, moths can come in and eat it and uh, mice can come in and chew it up. So knowing that Lydia was a dealer of this precious commodity of royal purple cloth and dye would mean Lydia was a woman of some financial means. 
Now, we don't know anything about a husband. We don't know if she was married, married and uh, a widower or a divorcee. But really what we know is that she is the head of her household. Um, and as I said, we, we, we know this because nothing has ever spoken about her marriage. The other thing that we know that confirms that she was a woman of means was a little later on, we're going to see that she owned her own house and it seemed to be quite a large house in the city of Philippi. And her whole household seems to imply that she employed servants at her house. So all of this tells us that Lydia was a good businesswoman and a good and effective leader. She ran a business that sold high-end products and that helped her make a good living. The next thing we see in that verse is this. She was a worshiper of God. Now, um, that probably doesn't strike us as a, a unique phrase because we want to be known as worshipers of God. But that was a significant statement in that day and age because um, it was, you, you were either Jewish or you were Gentile. And uh, Jews were known to worship God or Yahweh as they called him. Um, Gentiles were known to worship false gods and idols. So when it says she was a worshiper of God, what they're saying is she worshiped Yahweh. She worshiped the God of Israel. She worshiped the God, the Father of Jesus Christ. She was a, a, a woman who was spiritually sensitive. But by saying she was a worshiper of God, they were also not saying that she was a convert to Judaism. Remember, she was born in a Gentile area, Thyatira. Now she lived in Philippi, another Gentile area. There was a very small Jewish population, but she had gathered with them. Um, and it would appear that she knew and had heard about the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus, and she believed in him. And she apparently met regularly with the Jewish women who gathered to pray on the Sabbath by the river but she still hadn't become a convert of Judaism. Now, that's not surprising. In first century, there were many non-Jews who were attracted to the God of Judaism, and they were attracted to the high moral standards that we see in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, these people were called God-fearers because they, they respected God, they believed God, they, they feared God in a healthy way, and they were recognized as adherents of Judaism, even though they hadn't gone the full route of conversion for whatever reason that was. So she was a worshiper of God. She was a businesswoman. And the final thing that I want you to understand is that I believe that Lydia was a leader, not just in the business world, but also in the community. Scholars speculate that since Lydia was the only woman named in the scriptures about the group that uh, met down by the river to pray, that she was probably the leader of that group. Now, you and I know that there's different kinds of leadership styles. I'm just going to name two, but, but one of those kinds uh, of leadership style is positional leadership. In other words, uh, you're given a position of authority, you're given a title, and uh, you know, a woman who's given a, a leadership, a positional leadership of authority uh, will lead people by the power of that authority. There's also relational leadership. And somebody who has relational leadership is someone who rises to a place of leadership because of their relational influence that she has on other people. 
And, of course, they're going to be a hybrid of those two together. I think what you will see in the rest of this message is that Lydia certainly had relational leadership because she influenced a lot of people by her leadership. But it's also possible that she was given positional leadership, um, not just in her business life, but maybe also in the community. Although, I'll tell you, Scripture doesn't really allow us to confirm that. So that's what we learn about Lydia from that verse. But here's the most important thing that I want you to know about Lydia. Lydia had a heart for God. She had a heart for God. Let me go back and read all of verse 14 and then part of 15. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And she and her household were baptized. So think this through. The Apostle Paul shared the gospel of Jesus with Lydia and the other women who were there. Now because these women already believed in God, he would have told them some things that he probably wrote in some of his letters that we have. He he probably would have spoken some of the very verses that we see in in the book of Romans. They're not going to be on the screen, but let me just recall some of the things he probably would have shared with them. First of all, he probably would have said, listen, I want you to know that, that everyone is a sinner and all of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. So we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. And then he probably would have gone on to say, listen, there's a consequence of sin. It, it, it has a consequence. That, that consequence, as the Bible calls it, uh, is the sin, it's death. Um, one scripture says the wages of sin are death. And, but then he would have said, listen, God's given us a free gift, uh, the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. So, so sin brings death, but faith brings eternal life. And then he would have reminded them about this truth, that God showed us his love by sending his son Jesus Christ to the earth so that we could believe in him even while we were still sinners. He did this for us before we recognized we needed a Savior. He did this for us, or he would have said, he did this for you before you even believed in him, while you were still a sinner. And then he would have reminded him of this truth. He would have said, listen, if you want to believe in Jesus Christ, if you want to have this gift of eternal life, if you want to know that that you are saved for eternity and you can live with God, you need to believe. And this is what he would have said. He says, if you declare in your mouth, that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for eternity. You'll receive the gift of eternal life. You'll become a follower of Jesus. And so Paul shared that message with him. And and we don't know about the other women, but we know about Lydia. uh, And uh, she believed in him. And I believe this strongly because this comes out in all of all of Paul's teachings, he would have said, listen, you need to understand that you're saved through faith. Uh, you're saved through faith, not, not through anything else. Um, let me go back to verse 14 and import, point out two important elements about Lydia becoming the first Christian in Europe. The first thing that we read was 
And Luke writes that Lydia heard us. She heard us. All right. Luke used a Greek word that meant not that she just heard them, but that she listened intently. That she, she didn't just hear sounds, but rather she carefully and attentively listened to what they were saying and she understood the meaning of the words. This is in contrast to another place where, where Paul is converted uh, back in chapter 9 of the book of Acts where he's on the road to Damascus and it says that, that he heard a sound and the companions traveling with him heard the sound. Paul understood the sound and recognized it was Jesus' voice. His companions didn't. So this under idea that, that she heard and understood and she took in the truth of the gospel. You see, Lydia was a seeker of truth and she listened and she absorbed this truth. So, so that's the first thing that I, I want you to see. The second one, though, is this. In the, the next part of the verse, remember what it said? It said, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to believe and follow the things spoken by Paul. This is a great reminder to all of us that uh, faith ultimately comes through God working in our lives through the Holy Spirit to move us to open our hearts to him and to say, yes, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God opens our hearts and we believe. It's like what Paul said in the book of Ephesians. This won't be on the screen, but, but remember in the book of Ephesians, he said this, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. In other words, God gives us a gift. He opens our heart to hear and believe. Lydia's heart was opened by God. And she believed and she responded to God. And through faith, she became the first Christian in Europe. She became a brand new person. God transformed her life. Now, the next thing that Paul would have told her and that we tell everybody when they come to faith in Jesus Christ is that everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ are asked to do what Jesus taught his disciples to do. And that's that uh, they're supposed to not only believe, but they're supposed to be baptized in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as a proclamation that they become followers of Jesus. And so Paul told Lydia that. And from Scripture, we can tell that she responded immediately uh, and she wanted to because her faith was real and she wanted to let people know that she was a follower of Jesus. And this is what we read. It says, she and her household were baptized. Lydia and everyone in her household came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, think this one through. Lydia has just become a follower of Jesus Christ. She shares what she has learned and believed. God opens the heart of everybody who lives in her household. We don't know if that's family. We don't know if that's children. We don't know if that's servants. But whoever it is, they open their hearts to Jesus. They believe. They receive him as, as their Lord and Savior. And they're all baptized. Now, here's the truth of the matter. If they weren't sincere, if their faith wasn't real... Paul wouldn't have baptized them. 
So these were real conversions. And I think we need to take notice that, that Lydia, this leader, through her influence, she was able to share the gospel with those who lived in her household, and they all came to faith. Lydia, through her relational leadership, her influence, had an impact on other people, and they opened their hearts to God through what the Holy Spirit did, and they responded. So let me remind you, Lydia was a leader who had great influence. She was a gifted businesswoman who ran a successful and thriving business in an era where very few women were leaders in the business world. She was a woman who was open to God, and she believed in him with all of her heart. And now that she believed in Jesus and had given herself fully to following her, she was going to leverage everything in her power for the kingdom of God. And let's look at that. I want us to see how Lydia began using her gifts, those given to her by God and those things that she had been able to develop, how she used them for the kingdom of God. So the very first thing that Lydia does after she's baptized is she opens her house up to Paul and his missionary team. This is what we read. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And Luke writes, she persuaded us. Lydia was passionate about her new faith in Christ. And Lydia was the kind of person who wouldn't take no for an answer. She persuaded them to come and stay at her house. Now, Lydia was going to show hospitality to Paul and uh, his team who had been used by God to change her life. Now, we can assume as I said earlier, by her success that God had allowed her to afford a significantly sized home. But remember this, Paul wasn't alone. He came with a team, at least with three other people, maybe more. And it was likely that as she opened up this hospitality to them, that she was giving them carte blanche to stay with them as long as she needed. It was open-ended. So, she was going to leverage her home and her financial resources to feed them and to house them and to take care of them for as long as they needed. She was willing to do this whatever it cost because God had changed her life and now she was going to leverage everything in her ability to help spread the good news of Jesus. But there was also another cost, one that, that doesn't, speak to directly, but we see as we read what happens after this. Um, remember, Paul and Silas and Luke and his team are in Philippi. They're going around and they're spreading the word of Jesus. They're sharing the good news about Jesus. And as they do so, uh, there's a slave woman who's possessed by a demon, and the demon begins to follow Paul and Silas and begin to say things like, I know you're the servants of the Most High God. And um, Paul and Silas got annoyed with this lady because she followed them around and shouted these things out to them all the time. Now, unbeknownst to them, she was owned by somebody who used her to tell fortunes to make money for him. And one day she just got on their nerves so much that Paul said, in the name of Jesus, I cast out this demon. The demon left her, which was great for her, but the owner got mad because he could no longer make money off of her fortune-telling abilities 
So he had Paul and Silas arrested. And they were thrown in prison. Now, some supernatural things happen and, and they're released from prison. And uh, this is what's where I want you to show, where I want to show you the cost to Lydia. When they were released from prison, they went back to Lydia. So now all of a sudden, these people who have been arrested for uh, living as followers of Jesus and sharing Christ and casting out demons are associated with Lydia. So if there's going to be persecution, now it's not just going to be on Paul and Silas and his team. It's also going to overflow to Lydia. But Lydia didn't care. Lydia uh, may have faced persecution, but it didn't faze her. And uh, we know this because when Paul and Silas go back to her home, this is what we read in verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. Here's what I want you to see. After Lydia and her household were saved and baptized, more people came to faith in Christ and the church started to grow. This was through the witness of Paul and his missionary team, but also through the witness of Lydia and her household. They began to share with other people that they had found God loved them and sent Jesus to die for them. And now they'd become his followers and they wanted to share that so other people would have eternal life. Now, in Scripture, uh, they referred to the people who gathered at her house, the followers of Jesus, they were, were referred to as brothers, brothers and sisters. So, you know, this was a common understanding that in the first century that uh, in the church we call one another brothers and sisters because we're part of the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're sons and daughters of God. And so what we see is that the brothers and sisters come to Lydia's house. It's a large house. It can hold a lot of people there. And when Paul and Silas come back, it says that Paul encouraged them. What's that, what does that mean? He began to testify how God had delivered him. He began to preach a sermon. They began to have church right there in Lydia's house. Probably something that had been going on before this and that continued after this. Pastor John MacArthur writes this. Apparently a number of people had responded to the gospel. Naturally, their first meeting place was Lydia's home. By opening her home to the Apostle Paul, Lydia had the honor of hosting in her own living room the earliest meetings of the first church ever established in Europe. She gained that honor for herself by showing such warm hospitality to the team of missionaries whom she barely knew. And she epitomized the kind of hospitality that Scripture shows that the early Christians had and that scripture calls all Christians to show. Now from this, we can conclude that even as a very new, brand new Christian, Lydia was passionate about seeing other people receive eternal life and come to faith. She was engaged in sharing Christ with others. She shared it with her household. She shared it with others in the community. We see how Lydia leveraged her gifts of leadership and hospitality to grow the church, to create a fellowship that met in her home. And finally, we see that her use of her home, the use of her wealth, the use of her resources, she was willing to leverage because she understood that stewarding those things for God was the best use she possessed all of these things because God had blessed her and now she wanted to honor God with the way that she used them to help spread the gospel and care for people. She was an amazing woman. 
Here's what I want you to walk away from this knowing. Lydia was an entrepreneur and an influencer for the kingdom of God. She didn't shy away from taking risk. She risked her life and her livelihood for God. She realized that she could use her life to make a difference for Christ. And so she used her influence wherever she could. She used her gifts to share Christ with others. She used her hospitality to care for people and provide a place for the church. She provided servant leadership to the body of Christ. And she realized that she could use her abilities and, yes, her financial resources to further the cause of Christ. And so she did. So when we look at Lydia, we have to ask ourselves some questions. What do we do with our life? Will we use it like Lydia used her life and her influence and all that God had blessed us with, blessed her with? Are you using your influence? Are you using your abilities? Are you using your resources for the furthering of Christ and his kingdom or for your own kingdom? What are you going to do? As you consider those questions, I'm going to invite Erica Baldwin to come up. Why don't we give her a warm Valley Brook welcome? Erica, thanks for sharing. You know, all through this series, I've asked uh, ladies who are part of our congregation to share uh, as we've looked at what these ladies in Scripture did to, to share. And as I told Erica this, you know, as I was studying Lydia, the first person that came to mind was you because I see you as somebody who uses her influence uh, like Lydia does. So thank you for being here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thanks for being willing to share a little bit of your story. Now, now we know you as one of the people who leads us in worship, but tell us a little bit about your family and your life. Sure. So my husband and Michael and I live in Granby. We have two daughters, Annie and Charlotte, who are 9 and 11. I became a Christian in 2002, and we've been coming to Valleybrook for about eight years. And we've been actually in Bible studies with Valleybrook families for 11 years, and I work from home, I run my own business, and I also um, work for my mom part-time in her life insurance company, but working from home gives me the opportunity to be involved in both the girls' schools, which I really enjoy. Yeah, that's cool. So one of the things I always appreciated about you, Eric, is that you use your influence to reach out to people and invite them to church. Why do you do that? So God created me as a total extrovert, which is kind of funny because my husband's an introvert. And so that's, I think, God's humor. And I think he maybe just wanted to balance things out a little bit. Um, but this means that, like, I just love to be around people. I genuinely love to fellowship with others, to meet new people, to I could be in a room full of strangers and not feel awkward starting random conversations. So that's just how he made me. So mix that with the fact that I'm totally in love with Jesus. And when I accepted him into my heart 17 years ago, I experienced and have experienced since then his peace and grace and joy um, throughout my life in so many ways. And, you know, the freedom that he gave me um, when I fully understood what he did for me and for us on the cross um, just the burdens lifted off of me and just to feel that freedom was just transformational. And so it's something that I feel like, how can I not share with everyone 
around me. Um, so I, when I meet people, um, when I see people hurting, when um, I see people struggling, I want to share this love um, and grace that's waiting for them too. And I believe that God wants us to be a light and he wants us to be his hands and feet. And he wants us not to boast in our worldly things, but to boast in his name and who he is. And so I think just talking to people about God is doing that. Yeah. So when you talk to people and you invite them uh, to something, does that just happen spontaneously or do you have a plan? So I wait. It's just I kind of wait for the gut for God's nudging. And I don't have anything planned out. It's definitely a natural thing. Um, Many people comment on how I always smile, and I said before, like, my resting face is usually a smile, which is kind of funny. Um, so they ask me why I'm smiling all the time, and it's an easy way to share, you know, what gives me joy. Um, but also, I can easily invite people to this church because of all of you. I feel like we have such an amazing church body and that you guys are genuinely, like, an extension of my family. I feel like you're my family, and my brothers and sisters, and so, um, and we share this knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us, and it helps us relate to each other differently, have like a special kind of relationship. So I want others in my life to experience that relationship too. So another great um, way to invite people is just because we have so many amazing outreach opportunities here. Um, I've been involved with helping with VBS and sports camp in the summer for a number of years, and it's been like the most impactful and amazing way for my daughters and I to invite people from the community and from their schools to come and experience God's love and how we like love on them and, and show them what God's love is and teach them about the Lord. And, and then these kids are experiencing um, maybe this for the first time and they'll go home and hopefully share it with their parents and maybe their parents are hearing about God's love through their children, which I think is a really beautiful thing. Um, and then the, their parents can come and pick them up and enjoy our barbecue and experience like being on the campus and the love of our church body. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen you do that and it's just, it's, it's amazing. So I think it's important, you know, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you know, we all need to know what to say to invite people. So what do you say? <laughs> Uh, it definitely depends on the situation. And like I said, I usually invite someone to church first, like the Easter egg hunt, the chunk or treat um, camps, or maybe the Easter or Christmas services. And once people are here and they feel the love here and they are, you know, experience what our campus is like, then I will say to them, you should totally come check out our church services on Sundays. We have one at 9.15 and 11. And then... I usually would follow up with them. It may be in a couple of weeks, kind of let it sink in and um, let them consider it. And then I'll just say, I'm coming to church this Sunday at, at 11, or let me know if you're interested in coming to church, and I'll have Annie and Charlotte look out for your kids. And we have such great kids' programs, and your kids will know so many kids in our um, in Sunday school here. So, and then another another kind of way um, when I'm out and doing work on a Saturday night or out with friends and I'll say, oh, I'm going to be at church at 7 a.m. tomorrow to sing on the worship team. And that'll kind of open up another very easy, natural conversation. Um, and then I'll just mention specific things that I think that people would relate to um, and just talking about 
what kind of worship we have and our fellowship meals and just a family we can have coffee with after church and just share life with. That's cool. That's cool. So what would you tell the rest of us about using our influence to invite other people to come and hear the message of Jesus? I'd say just to be bold, um, definitely step out of your comfort zone because God wants us to talk about him. And I think when we know and follow God, his desires become our desires. And so I, I believe that he desires for us to share his love and his word and to speak boldly about what he's doing in our lives. So I really believe that a great starting place is inviting people to church. And I was thinking, I'm like, what's really the worst thing that can happen? Usually people don't just say, no, I'm all set. Like, they'll be like, oh, thank you. That's really nice. Because, um, you know, maybe our inv invitation is just one seed in their, um, in their life and in the people that God places in their life. Um, but I think that ultimately inviting people to church is an act of love. And we're, I don't think people would really take offense to it. I think it's just showing some, someone something that's meaningful and impactful to you and trying to share that with them. You know, that's, I was thinking about your words because we talked about this this week and I happened to, to go to Stop and Shop this morning to pick up a couple of cases of water for the uh, worship team. And the guy in line in front of me said, oh, you're thirsty, huh? <laughs> As my cart's overflowing with bottled water. And I said, I said, yeah, because uh, must be, uh, you know, a family get together. I said, nope. He said, sporting event. I said, nope. He goes, then what is it? I said, church. I missed the opportunity to say you should come. <laughs> but, but so, you know, we have opportunities yeah. all the time. So let me just share something with the rest of you. You know, you know if, if you're here as a guest or a visitor, or if you're not a follower of Christ, so you're sort of getting an, an inside view that um, as Christians, we believe that we've been given eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And we believe that's so important that they, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We want other people to know it so that they will spend eternity with God. And, and so that's what this is about. You know, we all have avenues of influence. You know, whether you're an extrovert like, like Erica or maybe you're an introvert, you're somewhere in between. We have relationships where we can reach out and share with them what we found and invite them to a place, an event where they can hear the good news. So let me ask that question again, and then I, I just want to pray for all of us. You know, that question that, that I said was this. Are you using your influence and your abilities and your resources for the cause of Christ? you got to answer that question and act on it. If you are, that's awesome. If you're not, ask God to show you how to. I want to pray for you and I want to pray for all of us. So would you please stand with me? Father, I thank you for Erica, for her willingness to share your love with everybody she meets, uh, for the way that you've wired her. And Lord, I thank you how you, you've wired each and every one of us, and you've put us in a circle of influence. So Lord, I, I pray that we would understand that that's our opportunity, that's our place where we can share how much you mean to us and invite people to an event or to church where they can hear the good news. So I pray that you'd bless Erica as she does this and each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.